Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. One of the things that I love about our partnership with Pastor Tony and the Campus Crusade team in Albania is that we are not going to do something of our own and then they're building on it, but they've been at work all year round. They have such a vision for the people of their country, for the gospel spreading, and we get to come and just do one small push in something that's already been moving. And that's what we saw when we went. The people who were uh, saved, who trusted Jesus with their whole lives, were people that this church has been pursuing for over a year in faithful, consistent ministry, not seeing much progress. At one point thinking, are we spending our energy in the wrong people? And that's where God shows up and does some amazing work. I want to ask if uh, Ben could come forward. And um, I'm sorry we don't have more of the people on our team here. Um, The aftermath of the trip was kind of hard for some people. And then three of the members of our young adult team uh, are people who go to other churches. Kevin, who used to be at, Kevin Eberhardt, who used to be at Harvest, was, is now living in the Bay Area. And Michael is now living in Georgia. And uh, Hannah is at another church in the, in the city, so they are not here as well. Ben, could you pray for the people of Albania, especially for those who, who came to faith over this camp? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for uh, this trip. We thank you for the opportunity to just join in the work that you're doing, uh, to join with Pastor Tony and Campus Crusade, uh, with the work that you've already been authoring. Um, But we thank you for the ways that you allow us to join in, uh, to have a front row seat, to see you at work. Uh, We thank you for the stories and the convictions that you've brought about even in the team members, uh, we thank you for the traveling mercies that uh, you know, as obviously seems to be your hand at work, uh, Lord. But Lord, we thank you and praise you, uh, Father, to hear the news that five people came to faith uh, during this camp. Uh, Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we pray for their faith. Uh, Lord, we know that the enemy will be working hard to discourage, uh, to isolate, uh, to make them doubt even what this conviction was or what this commitment was. Uh, but Father, we pray Uh, Lord, that you would bring about about brothers and sisters in their life um, to continue to build and encourage them. Uh, Lord, that they would uh, just receive, uh, as they read Scripture, just promptings of the Holy Spirit, uh, where you are just speaking to them personally, individually, encouraging them, Lord, as the devil will be working hard to discourage um, and make them doubt their faith. Uh, Lord, And we pray that what you would uh, build in them, Lord, as you are the author and perfecter of their faith, would be fertile soil. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, often the seed can fall on rocky ground, but we pray that this would be like a mustard seed, uh, that uh, their faith would just expand and bloom. And it wouldn't just be for them, Lord, but it would be the work that you do through these lives uh, to others, um, so that others would see that these are lives that are changed, and that they have encountered the living God, Um, and that others would be attracted to that, uh, wanting to know what that is. And so I pray that uh, there is a reason why you called these five at this time. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, let your anointing be over them. Uh, Lord, protect them, Father, and let them be the ones that share uh, the good news to others as well. Uh, So we thank you. We rejoice uh, to hear this news. We rejoice with the angels, and we pray for just your guidance and your protection over these, uh, your children. 
Um, Lord, let their faith uh, just uh, grow and increase uh, as you uh, deem fit. And we pray that in the times of discouragement, in the times of isolation, Father, that you uh, would speak powerfully in those times and let them uh, know uh, that the God of the universe sees them, uh, Lord, that their faith, who they've placed their trust in, is real. Um, and so we pray that you would just uh, allow them just to expand in their faith and grow, and knowing that they have placed their faith in the one true holy God. Um, so we thank you, Father. We pray for our team members uh, who are also under the weather. We just pray for recovery for them. Uh, we pray, Father, for the convictions of the Holy Spirit amongst this team, uh, that it wouldn't just be you know what happened in the trip, but you have things uh, that you want to continue to reveal as they reflect back on this trip. And let that fruit uh, just continue to be revealed in their hearts, in their lives, and those around them as well. So we thank you, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Ben. So if you're new to our church, my name is Dave. I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor here. And uh, when I got back from the Albania trip with the youth team, I shared a message about some lessons that I learned while I was on that trip. This morning, I'm going to share, similarly, one big lesson that I learned. And I'm going to share it through a very brief message. And then I'm going to yield the majority of my time to a friend of mine because her life embodies this idea of walking with God and living by faith. And I want you to meet her and um, hear her story because I believe her story, her life, reveals God in a powerful way. A few months ago, my family uh, and I visited Los Angeles. And when we were there, we did this VR experience thing at the mall. You know, it's that thing like at the mall that you walk past all the time. You're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe someday. And then we just stopped and we did it. (laughs) Have any of you done the VR thing where you, you wear the goggles and you're in this room and they did this whole thing with a story? It was a weird experience because as soon as I strapped on the goggles, if you've ever worn them before, it's so weird. It's like you're in another world. And because of the graphics, it felt like that was the real world. And yet I was very aware that just outside of this virtual world I'm seeing, there's this other dimension that I'm aware of because I could walk up and actually kick and hit the wall. I could hear the giggling of the people I was in the room with. And so it was a very confusing jumble of inputs where I was in this virtual world where I could see, and I was also in this other world that I'm part of. And once in a while, they did this so cleverly, those two realities would, would collide so that there would be this vehicle. I would be told I'm standing on this jet ski type thing. And as I reached my hand out to grab the virtual, there were real handlebars in front of me. And I grabbed and I freaked out at first. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's real. And they did this so often when there was sprays of water in the, in the show, they would spray. I don't know if some guy was with a spritzer bottle. Or just, you know, like doing something. But it felt all very confusing to me. And it was a really good illustration for me, an experiential illustration of this idea that at any given time, we live always in the convergence of multiple dimensions, different realities. And that experience actually, it expanded my idea of what reality is. Because that virtual world I was seeing was still real in one sense. It felt completely enveloping of me, and it felt very real. What I saw was very real. 
And yet there was this other dimension that I knew was out there, but I couldn't quite feel it. And once in a while, it collided with my realm. That is what reality always has been. The Old Testament records a story of a prophet named Elisha. You don't hear that much about Elisha because he was a successor to Elijah. And Elijah was arguably Israel's greatest prophet. He was someone that every Israelite knew and was very familiar with. But Elisha, you know how it's weird that the successor rarely gets the kind of notoriety and fame that the, the number one guy did. But this guy had such a unique and powerful capacity to interact with the spiritual realm. He did things, if you read the story of Elisha, he did things and he experienced things that others did not. And at the time, Israel was at war with a nation uh, called the Arameans. And the Aramean king really was not happy with Israel, so he would confer with his officers, and they would form military battle plans, and every time they had this idea, we're going to go there, we're going to set an ambush here, whenever he laid those plans, the spirit of the living God would reveal those plans to Elisha, and Elisha would then run over to the king of Israel and go, here's where they're going to be, here's where the traps are set. So in this way, Israel always stayed one step ahead of the Arameans militarily. And understandably, this was making the king of the Arameans insane. Can you imagine if you were strategizing as the CEO of a corporation, and every time you had this killer move, some spy in your boardroom would go whisper to your competition, and they always were one step ahead of you. They were ruining all your well-laid plans. It would make you insane, wouldn't it? And that's what was going on. So finally, the king says, who is this guy who keeps whispering in the ear of the king of Israel? And when they told him it's Elisha, they said, find out where he is. So the spies reported, tonight he's sleeping soundly in the city of Dothan. And so the king of the Arameans sent out his entire army against one man. That's hatred. That's like frustration. When you send your whole army to capture one dude, because he's like, leave, there, there has to be no room for error here. Surround the entire city. Don't let anyone escape because I need to get a, my hands on this guy. So that's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. Believe it or not, I'm already almost done here with my part. But listen to this, 2 Kings 6. Verses 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, this is, this is the attendant or assistant to Elisha, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If you're a good artist, digital or analog, please make a picture of this scene. I could not find any pictures on the internet that didn't stink. But what a glorious vision. 
As the scales come off this young man's eyes, he's terrified, as you should be, when you wake up and you know your, your, your master is a, a marked man, and this powerful king has brought in his entire army to surround the city. It's obvious to his eyes there's no getting out of this one. We've snuck out of a lot of tight spots, but this one is it. It's over. And I love this idea that Elisha, cool as a cucumber, goes, oh yeah, that's a lot of men. That's a lot of horses. That's a lot of chariots. By the way, horses and chariots are like armored divisions in today's army. That would be half tracks, tanks, all of it. He says, yeah, that's a lot of dudes, but don't worry, we're okay. Because our team is bigger than their team. What you talking about, Willis? You guys are too young to even know what I just did there, but... He sees that in another realm that is as real as this one, they're not in danger at all. And the lesson for me that I see from that passage and the lesson that I learned in Albania, the lesson I learned in Germany, was that you can't always trust your eyes. People kept sending me links to news stories about the strike. And with each link... I freaked out a little more because this time I was the team leader. It was up to me to make sure our team got there and got home. I was worried for the Albanian team going, what are we going to do? The the American team might not get here. We don't have a plan B. I learned that my eyes only see what they can see, but they don't see everything. Neither do your eyes. Most of the fear and the stress and the paralysis that that is in your life are the result of the things you can see. And you can't be blamed for that because what is real other than what you can see, and yet God tells us in faith, know this, and you can't know this scientifically, empirically. Here's what the truth is. There is always more than your eyes can see. You have a sane, reasonable response to what is real to you, but God says to you today through his word, that's not all that's real. Your reaction is totally normal because what is real to you is causing that reaction. But there is more to reality than what you see. Just like the goggles could not define and contain my full reality, neither can your eyes, and yet your eyes are so limited, so finite, you have no idea what else is going on. Audrey stole my thunder. But that's okay, because it's worth repeating. The first group of people I met in Albania on this trip was this friend group. I don't know if you know about friend groups in Albania, but it's different than here. They're almost like extended family or street gangs almost. They're like so fiercely loyal, they stay together for life. This group was inseparable. They were there with all these other campers, but they were clearly their own unit their own crew, and they walked together, they ate together, they swam together. They didn't hang out much with the other people. They were self-contained. They were good. They had, their dance card was full. And we sat, John Moon and I sat at a table with them. John, would you agree the most awkward meal you've ever had in your life? It was so uncomfortable. We sat there and we're like, hi. Hi. And then 10 minutes of conversation amongst themselves in Albanian, like we were invisible, So, do you guys like this food? What's it called? They would tell us. And then 10 more minutes of... 
it was like I wasn't there. And I looked over at John like, come on, carry some momentum, bro. You're the other extrovert on the team. He's just sitting there like, I don't know what to do. We endured that first meal. It was like, what is going on with these people? They don't even seem to want us here. And I was really discouraged. And because they were the first ones, it was almost like a duckling imprints on the first thing that it sees. Like, they were the group that I was like, I, I kind of kept gravitating toward them. And I didn't see that much change. They just kept sticking to themselves. Yes, they opened up a little more. But by the time we left, I was like, yeah, I don't think much is happening there. During the seminars, they would laugh and talk amongst themselves. And I wasn't sure they were engaging with us. So when we were getting ready to leave, and on the last night when people were coming up to the microphone, I was a little surprised when a couple of them shared something. And then they let us know on their evaluation form whether they made a decision to follow Jesus. And the five people with the hearts, these are people that this church has been pursuing in love for over a year. And who kept saying, we like you guys, but man, we're just not ready. We're not ready. It's too much. It's such a commitment. And these five people on this camp, at this trip, something happened inside of them, and it was their time. There were a handful of others who are so close to the edge of that cliff of decision. This camp brought them so much closer. We could feel it. We were waiting for their names to be called out, and they weren't. But by next year's camp, God willing, we will see them become our brothers and sisters. And what I really learned from this experience was that I cannot trust my eyes. I have a lot of pride. I think I know a lot. Any of you like that? You think you got it all figured out? You're all like that. Give me a break. <laughs> Shush. You're all like that. So am I. We all think we know just the way I get feedback. And everybody knows everything. And I think that's typical of life. I'm so sure that my perspective is right. I'm sure my assessment of the situation is right. I'm sure that what I saw is all there is. I got you figured out. I got this situation figured out. And I'm learning that I don't really know or see even half of what I think. That there is a God who is mysteriously active when I cannot see it at all. There's obvious movements of God you can see, but there are times when you see nothing, and yet underneath the surface, there is so much happening. One of the things I appreciate about youth pastors is they get a different view of teenagers than their parents do. And sometimes over the years, a youth pastor will tell me, oh, because I, I worry, I lecture my kids, I talk to them for hours. Sometimes they say things like, can't mom just spank us instead of your two-hour lecture? Because, and, and yet, I worry, are you even listening? And it's so reassuring when a youth pastor says, oh, no, they, they're hearing you. There's more going on underneath then their face is letting on. They hear it all. They're processing. They may not agree with you, but they're hearing it all. And I think that's so important for us to recognize and admit is that there is more than you see. If you are someone waiting for something important to happen, for a breakthrough, for a provision, or, or if you're somebody who just is looking for some meaning in this life and you're not finding it. 
and you're wondering why it's taking so long for God to show up, I want to encourage you that it's worth it to hang on and believe in a God who is working even when your eyes cannot see. He is working. Some people have gloriously in the last month seen that happen with such great joy, seeing that God does more than we could imagine. He does more than we can see or do. And I want to close my time with this great reminder from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. Christians, learn not to trust your eyes so much. Because God is at work. He's doing more here than you can imagine. And he's doing more than even you're asking him to do. I want to ask the AV team to pause our live stream at this point. I did send out an email explaining why we need to do that. We will do our best to record the following content and have it available for private, limited playback. But it's because the sister that's coming up to share is being called by God to some places in the future that are closed off to Christians. And so we don't want anything out there for posterity on the Internet that identifies her as a Christian worker. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.